Okay, let's take out God's Word together. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to look at it with me. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one on the pew in front of you that you can use. Uh, I'd encourage you to look at it. We're going to be looking at the text constantly during the sermon, so I think you'll benefit most by looking at it with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we're going to cover verses 1 through 25 today. 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 1. Now, have you ever thought about, have you ever stopped and taken note of how central words are to our lives? Our lives are built around words. Everything in our lives built around words. Sure, actions speak louder than words. We say that often, but many times, if you pay attention, our words are powerful actions in and of themselves, are they not? Our lives are built around words. Think about how we are given names at the very beginning of our lives. Names which are just words, sounds, that identify us. And that word of our name eventually becomes one of the most important words in the entire English language to each of us individually. Think about the event that it is when a child speaks their first word. And we we try to never forget that, right? But think about how that child grows up a little further and then learns to use the weapon of the word no. Everything changes when we say the words, I'm sorry, from our hearts, or I forgive you. Everything changes again with two little words, I do, or till death do us part. Sometimes things change When we come home or we hear a phone call and someone on the other end says, I've got bad news. Those words. And sometimes things change forever when we have to say the words goodbye. Our lives are are centered around words. But our faith, Christianity, is a faith that's centered on words. Our religion is a words-centered religion, is it not? Think about the very beginning of all creation, the beginning of our Bibles. God says words, powerful words that come out from His mouth. The most powerful force the universe has ever known has come from the mouth of God, the words of God, creating something out of nothing with words that were simply, let there be, and all of a sudden it existed. And then God, with words, pronounced it very good. We serve a God, Scripture tells us, a God who hides Himself. God hides Himself. He makes himself invisible. He does not reveal himself in any visual form, but he's constantly speaking to his people, right? All throughout Scripture, God is not appearing. He's speaking, speaking with words, hiding himself and speaking. His primary means of revealing himself to human beings is a book full of words, right? We can't get around the fact that we must be readers as Christians, because God has revealed himself to us in a book filled with words. And that book, that book is packed full of words about the power of words. Listen to some things we hear in the book of Proverbs, which tells us a word in season, how good it is. Or a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Or yet again, a word Fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. 
James, the brother of Jesus, tells us, the tongue by which we say our words, the tongue is like a fire which can set the entire course of our life ablaze. With it we can praise the Lord and with it we can curse people made in the image of God. We are a words-centered people. Today in 1 Corinthians 14, our text, Paul examines two spiritual gifts. He focuses on two of them that are words-centered. They're words-centric. They're spiritual gifts that have everything to do with the way we use our words. And specifically today in our text, he's talking about the use of these two words spiritual gifts in the context of a church gathering, just like what we're doing right now. And so our text today is actually about what does it look like when the church gathers together in a worship service, just like what we are here doing today. And Paul will tell us when it comes to words in the church gathering, when it comes to the way we use words in the church gathering, there's a right way and a wrong way to use them. Let's read our text, 1 Corinthians 14. Now, I'm going to read 25 verses today. So this is a little bit longer of a passage than you might be used to us reading aloud in the church. So I'd encourage you to stay with me, not only with your eyes, but with your mind. Right? We've got 25 verses, but I think they're all important. So we're going to go verse 1 to 25. God's word through the Apostle Paul tells us, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written... 
By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if, I, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Now, in that text, we don't have time today to hit everything that Paul hits, but we do have time, and what we're going to do is to look at three things that he emphasizes throughout that passage. Three things that Paul emphasizes through that passage, and we start with this one. Paul actually says... That in a church gathering, the use of one spiritual gift is greater than the use of another. It's kind of extraordinary what he does here. might confuse some of us. Look at verse 5. He says, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. He actually says that those who use one spiritual gift are greater than than those who use another. Now, wait a second. Didn't we just hear him in chapter 12 talk about how all spiritual gifts are important? Didn't Paul, in chapter 12, just talk about how every spiritual gift has honor before the Lord? One of us can't say to the other one, I'm better than you. None of us in the church, with our differing spiritual gifts and our diversity in the way that God has given spiritual gifts, none of us can say we don't need the others. None of us can say that. He just said that in chapter 12. Now, all of a sudden... He's saying one's greater than another. What's the deal here? Well, notice the reason. What's the reason why someone who prophesies in a church gathering is greater than one who speaks in a tongue, according to Paul in those days? Why is it greater? Because for one, it's only for themselves. But for the other, it's for the benefit of all of those around them. Now, I will tell you, and if you were here last week, you know this, I do not believe we are speaking in tongues and prophesying in the same way that they were in Bible times. I don't believe we're doing that today. But these lessons are still just as applicable today as they were then. Let's remember the reason why Paul's writing these chapters. You remember what we've talked about in chapters 12, 13, and 14? It's all about spiritual gifts, but why is he writing them? It's because the Corinthian believers were using spiritual gifts as a means of division and pride. They were becoming prideful about their spiritual gifts. They were becoming prideful about their position in regards to others when it comes to who was more spiritual and who who was more holy, who knew God the best. And the, the way that they could tell, according to them, was the spiritual gifts that were being used. They were being selfish in the use of their gifts. They were seeking glory for themselves. And they found satisfaction in being admired by others. And specifically, they had this attitude. If I can speak in tongues in a worship gathering, and I've reached the height of spirituality, if I can speak in tongues in front of other Christians, I have reached the pinnacle of Christian experience. See, tongues were one of those spiritual gifts that were obviously miraculous. It was kind of fascinating when you saw someone speak in tongues according to Scripture, They would see someone speaking a language that no one could understand, and apparently that person themselves did not know the language that they were speaking. It was a miraculous act. It was kind of fascinating. 
When someone spoke in tongues, you get the picture that everyone looked at them and thought, that person must be super spiritual. That person must really know the Lord. Right? I can't do that. That person must be super holy. But with prophecy, eh, much less so. Much less of a fascinating thing. But Paul says, there's something much more important than other people looking at you and saying, you're super spiritual. There's something much more important than that when we come together as a church body. And it's building others up. Building others up. What are the very first words that come out of his pen? Chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love. Pursue love. Building others up is what it's all about. Tongues might have been great for the person speaking in the tongue. But for everyone else, it was useless. Paul's essentially saying, you're in church speaking in a tongue. Congratulations. But you're speaking gibberish. Everybody's looking at you thinking that you're super spiritual, but it's really not doing anyone any good except you. Everything that you're doing is focused on yourself. Look at verse 4. He makes a, a clear difference. The person who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And then go down to verse 18. I'm sorry, verse 19. He says, Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. You guys remember when Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. He starts talking about the Pharisees. And he starts out Matthew chapter 6 and he says, Do not practice your righteousness before others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from my Father in heaven. And he goes on to talk about those Pharisees. He gives concrete examples. He says, Do not be like the Pharisees who stand on the street corners, praying loudly for all to hear and for all to see them. They dress in such a way that everyone can see, oh, that, that's a holy person. And they pray in such a way with loud words, big, holy words, so that everyone walking by says, Look at that holy man. He must be so righteous. Jesus says, Do not be like them. For they have received their reward already. There's no reward left for them in heaven. Don't practice your righteousness like that. Don't be drawing attention to yourself. Don't make it your goal for other people to look at you and say, they must be a good Christian. They must be super spiritual. I could do this with preaching. What if I stood up here today and I spoke like this? Today, brethren, we will examine Paul's soteriology and the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement by way of the propitiatory sacrifice of the second person of the Godhead. Does that do any of y'all any good? No, like, no, that doesn't do anybody any good. Now, those words are, are theological words, right? But if I just speak like that, the only person that's doing any good for is me. And everybody's saying, oh, look at how spiritual that person is because he knows all this stuff about God that I don't know. That's not what we want. That's not what we want, brothers and sisters. We don't want a church full of people who are looking to certain others and saying they're super spiritual. We could never reach that pinnacle. No, we want to help one another, all of us growing in Christ. All of us helping one another know the Lord. When someone spoke in tongues, Paul says, congratulations, but you're speaking gibberish. And we don't know. We don't know what you're saying. If no one's interpreting, it's just between you and God. So keep it between you and God. 
He uses a wonderful illustration. One thing that I've really come to enjoy about preaching 1 Corinthians is Paul is great at illustrations. And when you're a preacher, that's gold because he, he's like giving me my illustrations for me. He's, he's doing the work for me some of the time. So verse 7, he uses a wonderful illustration here. He says, even if lifeless instruments, lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? Now, now, Dwayne knows I'm about to do this here, but I'm going to go over here for a second, right? This is a beautiful, a beautiful instrument, right? Beautiful instrument. But if I do this, does that do any of y'all any good? No, right? That doesn't do anyone any good if someone just goes over there and bangs on the keys and plays indistinct notes. But when Dwayne plays a piece with distinct notes that go together in a distinct scale and a distinct mood, why it sends a message that blesses other people, right? We're going to let Dwayne do the piano playing, not me, right? For a reason, because we want people to be blessed by it. It's not about me. I could draw some attention by doing that stuff to myself, but that's not why we're here. We're not here to draw attention to ourselves. We're here to build one another up. So what you want, what you want is not other people thinking you're super spiritual. What you want is other people getting closer to the Lord because of you. You want other people getting closer to the Lord because of you. You don't want people walking away from a church service saying, wow, that guy is super spiritual. Wow, that person was amazing. You want people walking away from a church service saying, wow, Jesus is amazing. That's what we want. We want them saying that maybe because of something that we did to help but they don't remember us. Remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist is probably our our best example in Scripture of this. John the Baptist's entire life revolved around pointing people away from himself to Jesus. His entire purpose in life, his entire existence was to prepare the way for the Son of God. And John the Baptist started his ministry when he got to be a certain age, and he started garnering some attention, right? He's baptizing, he's preaching, he's living in the wilderness, he's To many people, a crazy-looking guy. But it starts gathering attention. There's people going to follow him. He even gathers some of his own disciples. But then Jesus starts his ministry. And what happens? The attention starts going away from John and his ministry to Jesus' ministry. And there were even some of John's disciples who left him and went to become disciples of Jesus. And at one point, someone makes mention of this to John. They said, your disciples are leaving you and going to Jesus. Aren't Aren't you upset? And he said upset. This is the whole point. This is exactly what I want. This is making my joy complete. This is what I'm here for, that Jesus would get the attention that I wouldn't. He likens himself to the best man at a wedding, right? We can understand this, the best man at a wedding. What's the best man's job at the wedding? Is it to put all the attention on himself? No, it's, it's to serve and to get out of the way so that the attention rightfully goes on the bride and groom, right? That's where the attention should go. The best man's job is to put everyone else's attention to him. And so John says in John 3.30, a wonderful verse that would be wonderful to memorize, to make kind of a life verse, write this one down, right? Get this printed on t-shirts. He must become greater, I must become less. John 3.30. Do you believe that this morning? Is that your your life motto? He must become greater. I must become less. Would you be content if a year after you die, no one remembers who you are? 
But because of you, people know the Lord who wouldn't have otherwise known the Lord. Because of you, people are closer to Jesus than they would have been without the things that you said or did. But they don't remember you at all. Would you be content with that? All John was concerned about is Jesus becoming greater and him getting out of the way. That's what we want. Paul focuses so many times in this text on building up the church. It's not about you. It's not about drawing attention to ourselves. It's about building others up. Notice how many times he uses that phrase or some form of it. Look at verse 4. He says, The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Or the end of verse 5. You need someone to interpret so that the church may be built up. Go on to verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And then down to verse 17. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Building up the church. Building up one another. That's what Paul is all about when he's talking about this here. One of the implications in this chapter is that one of the most important reasons for being here on a Sunday morning One of the most important reasons for gathering with the church is to build up those around you. Yes, we come to worship God. Yes, we come to give praise to the Lord. Yes, we even come to receive from God, to receive food from His Word and satisfaction from Him. But one of the biggest reasons why we are here this morning, brothers and sisters, is to build one another up. You are not just here for you. We're here to build one another up. Think about singing. Why do we sing? Of course we sing because God tells us to sing. We sing because that is one of the ways that he has ordained that we should praise him and give him glory. But Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.19, we are not just addressing God when we sing. We are also addressing one another. We're singing for one another. Do not buy into the modern philosophy that when you come to worship, you should just block out everyone around you and it's just between you and God, audience of one. No, that that one who gave us his word, he tells us in his word, it's not just between us and God. It's also between us and those around us, our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we sing, it's not just for us. It's not just for you. It's not just for what's going on in your heart and your emotions. You are blessing those around you. Now, I'm going to step on some toes. And I think it's worth it. It boggles my mind when I see a person who tells me that they are a Christian. Seems like they're a mature Christian. They've been a Christian for a long time. Who refuses to sing in a worship service. Not to mention the fact that God has told us to sing. He has commanded us to sing. It's disobedience not to sing. Now I realize there every now and then, every now and then, there's a health concern or something like that. But this this is an epidemic in churches all across America. People just standing there, not singing, refusing to sing any of the words. And yet, God tells us in His Word, sing praises to me. We see over and over again commands in Scripture, sing praises to God. But then we see this, singing is about more than just singing to God. It's about blessing those around you. And you might say, John, I'm not going to bless anybody around you with the voice that I have. I'm not going to bless anybody around me. I'm here to tell you that the, the people who bless me most when they sing are the people with the worst voices. Right? 
They are. The people with the worst voices. Because if you have a wonderful voice and you are singing, that is a blessing. It really is. It's a blessing to me when I hear beautiful voices. When we hear harmony rising together, it's, it's a beautiful thing. But you know what blesses me even more than that? is when someone has a horrible singing voice, and yet they're going to sing anyway because they don't care, because it's the Lord, right? We love the Lord. We're singing to the Lord, and my voice doesn't matter. What matters is that God wants me to sing to Him, right? The times when I've been blessed most were the people who couldn't carry a tune, and they were belting it out because they loved the Lord, right? That's a blessing. It is. It's a, to me, it's a greater blessing even than the one who has a wonderful voice, Let's think about communion. Remember, one of the most important reasons we're gathering here is to bless those around us. Paul has talked about in 1 Corinthians how communion's not just between you and God. Communion's also between you and your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a communal event to be done when the church gathers together. Think about what we do when we show up and when we leave, before and after the service. Fellowship, greeting people. Blessing people with your presence and your conversation. Blessing people with a question of, how are you and your family doing? How can I be praying for you? Do you need anything this week? Fellowshipping with one another. Seeing our brothers and sisters in Christ that we haven't seen for a week or possibly more. Paul talks about, yet again in 1 Corinthians, the way we dress. Remember, we've talked about modesty in our text in 1 Corinthians before. The way we dress, the way we act when we come to worship, it's not just for us, it's for those who are around you. So one of the biggest reasons why we come to church is for building up the people who are around us. It's about building up others. And so you might think that if you miss a worship service, the only person who misses out is you. Paul says, wrong. When you miss a worship service, the rest of us miss out on being blessed by you. The rest of us are missing out as well. And so ask yourself a few questions this morning. Number one, how can I make it a habit and a priority to gather regularly with my brothers and sisters in Christ so that I can bless them and they can bless me? So that I can do this regularly whenever I can. Unless I've got some kind of scheduling conflict, I'm going to be there with my brothers and sisters in Christ because I need to be blessed by them They actually need to be blessed by me. How can I, while I'm there, what can I do to build up those around me? What can I do when I show up to build people up? Instead of just getting everything for me, how can I build up those around me? Now, Paul speaks about prophecy and tongues here. And he says prophecy is greater than tongues. Why? We said because prophecy is building others up while tongues, without interpretation in that day, was only building up the one who was speaking. Prophecy is one of the ways they were building one another up. Now, we don't prophesy in the same way that they did in those times, right? We're not prophesying just like they were in church services in the first century, but there's a lesson here for us, and I don't want you to miss it. Think about what a prophet was. What's a prophet? When it comes to the Bible, what is a prophet? Well, it's not, as many people think, it's not primarily someone who predicts the future. Prophets did that every now and then, but that's not what a prophet's primary job was in the Bible. In the Bible, here's what a prophet is. A prophet is someone God chooses to give his words to, so that they receive God's words, and then they are to give God's words out faithfully to others. 
faithfully and accurately. You receive God's words, and then you give it out faithfully and accurately. So while we're not prophesying like they were in the first century church, can we do that, what I just talked about? Can we receive God's word and then give it out to others? I'm not talking about a special message of God for for you. I'm talking about God's word. We are all called to receive God's word, to take in God's word, and then to give it out to others. This is what being a Christian is all about. This is the Christian life, in a sense. Receiving, taking in God's word, and then giving it out to others. Think about all the ways we are called to do this as Christians. Evangelism. What is evangelism? If not receiving God's word and then giving those words of life out to people who desperately need them. Teaching someone else the Bible. Now, you might not think yourself a teacher in terms of teaching like this or teaching in a a classroom setting, but if you're a Christian, every single one of us is called to teach others God's Word, even if it's just one-on-one, even if it just means parents to kids or friend to friend, sharing the gospel with someone, teaching them what the Bible says. When we teach someone else the Bible, we're, we're doing what the prophets were doing. We're taking in God's Word and we're giving it out to someone else. Talking about what you're reading in Scripture with a friend or a spouse or a family member. You guys ever do this? You ever do this in your life? Ask a question of your spouse or your friend. Hey, what are you reading in the Bible? What's God teaching you right now? What are you reading? Right? You ever tell somebody about what you're reading in the Bible? Do this. I would encourage you to do this. Go home. Ask each other this question. What are you reading in the Bible? Now, you might have a moment of honesty with someone or someone says, I I haven't been reading the Bible. Right? I guess I should. But then you, you can share with them what God's been teaching you, not in a judgmental way, not a preachy way, just an encouragement. Right? We're trying to encourage one another. Somebody gets up here and shares a communion meditation. What are they doing? They're taking in God's word. They're giving it out. When you contribute to a discussion in your Sunday school class, you just pipe up and answer a question or help the discussion along in your Sunday school class. You're taking God's word in. You're giving it out. When you hang around after the service and you hear about the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ, and then you give them an encouragement from God's Word that you've stored up in your heart, you're doing what the prophets were doing, taking in God's Word and you're giving it out. No, we are not prophesying in the biblical sense like, moder- like, like the prophets of old, but we can take in God's Word. We can receive God's Word and we can give it out. But brothers and sisters, if we're going to do this, If we're going to be these modern-day prophets, the first step is taking in God's Word. You've got to take it in. How will you have a word from the Lord to give out if you have not been taking it in? You have to get in the Word. You have to read His Word. Guys, reading the Word's not hard. Sometimes it's hard to understand, but reading it's not hard. Read a couple chapters a day. I'd encourage you, if you've never read through the Bible on your own, to start in the New Testament. The New Testament's a wonderful place to start because it's more applicable to our New Covenant lives as New Covenant Christians, right? Just start in the New Testament and just read a couple chapters every day. It takes about 10 minutes. Read a couple chapters every day. And I'm here to tell you, if you read your Bible a little bit every day, not only will you be amazed at the way God changes your heart, and I'm here to tell you, nothing will change your life like reading God's Word every day. Nothing. 
for yourself, reading it on your own. Not only will you be amazed at that, but you will be amazed at how many times that passage that you were reading just that very morning will be the word that someone else needs to hear that day. Haven't you ever had this happen to you? Someone gives you a word from God, someone gives you a word from the Bible, and you said, that is exactly what I needed to hear. It's like it came out of your mouth, but it was like straight from the Lord to me in my circumstance right now. Have you ever had it that you're talking with someone and they're talking about their problems in their lives and you start to think, I was just reading about that in Scripture today. I was just reading about that yesterday in the Bible. It's amazing the way the Lord works to do this stuff all the time. All the time. But it starts with taking in God's Word yourself. You've got to take it in for yourself. You've got to actually make it a part of your day to read the Bible. How many of us in here call ourselves Christians and yet rarely ever read God's Word? This is God's Word. This is the Bible. How often do you read it? Do you actually know His Word? How long have you been a Christian? And have you read this book? This book that we claim to say is the very words of God. When I was in college, there used to be a class at UK called the New Testament as Literature. There's these classes at these universities, state universities, these as literature classes. And what it is, is they're trying to teach the Bible just like it's any other book. They're trying to convince people this is just another book, like a John Grisham novel or a history textbook. No difference between that. These are just words. Those are just words, just another book. So they try to teach it like that. Because of that, they usually have an atheist teach it. Okay? What happens is that these, these classes, and this used to happen at UK because I had friends tell me this. You go into the class first time, and a bunch of Christians would sign up for this class because you're at UK, you're a Christian, you see, oh, the New Testament's on a class. So you show up to class. The atheist professor says this right off the bat. He says, how many of y'all in here are Christians? A bunch of people raise their hand. He says, okay. How many of you Christians believe that this right here is God's Word? And all those Christians raise their hand. Yeah, we believe it's God's Word. And then he'd ask this question. How many of you have read all of it? And almost no hands go up. And he would say, see. He'd just say it like this. He'd be like, see, you don't believe it. You don't. You don't believe these are the words of God. Because if there was a God who created the entire universe, and he had actually put his words in a book, people would be ravenously eating it up. People would be dying for it. People would be trying to get at it any way they could. You don't believe it's God's Word. That's what he would say. Do you believe this is God's Word? How long have you been a Christian? Do you read the Bible? You spend time in God's Word. If you really are a Christian, brothers and sisters, there is nothing you can do that will change your life more than reading the Bible just a little bit at a time every day. It will change your life. It'll change your heart because it's, it's, it's happened. It's happened to me. So the prophet first receives God's word, but the second step is giving it out, right? You've got to receive God's word, but then you've got to give it out. And that step is sometimes fun and sometimes not. When you give out God's word, sometimes those words will be like the water of life to someone else. Sometimes it will be. And you can rejoice when that happens. You can get in in moments where you're in a conversation 
And somebody says something, you say, you know what, that reminds me of something I read in God's Word. I'd encourage you to be those people. Be that guy. Be that girl who everybody knows. They're probably going to say that reminds them of something that they read in the Bible. Just be that person. Embrace it. Be the weird person. Right? Be the person that everybody thinks they're going to say that. Right? I've got people in my life who are like that. And you know what? As weird as some people might think they are, I respect the fire out of them. Because they're committed to doing that. They're committed to talking about God's Word in conversations and giving it out. So sometimes it'll be a blessing, but sometimes, sometimes you give out God's Word and it will be met with rejection or even ridicule or persecution. The Old Testament prophets knew this well. Remember Isaiah wrote a big book of the Old Testament. Isaiah, the way he was commissioned by God is he saw a vision of the Lord miraculously And in that vision, after he is humbled to the point of uh, feeling like, like he says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. He's so humbled, but then God says, who will go for us? Who will take our message? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And God says, okay, we have a volunteer. Um, Here's what you're going to do. You're going to take my words, you're going to go preach them, and people are going to hate you for it. And it's going to harden people's hearts against you and against me. You still want to volunteer? Right? That's what he had to do. And he did it. Jeremiah, who also wrote one of the bigger books of the Old Testament. Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet, and for good reason. Because he took God's message out to tons of people, all of whom rejected it, and who persecuted him because of it. God knew this would happen. When he called Jeremiah at the beginning of the book, he says, Jeremiah, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. Jeremiah 1.17. But then about half the book later, God tells him, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord. All the words that I command you to speak to them. Do not hold back a word. And the words that God gave him were a message of condemnation. Repent, or the Lord will destroy you. Jeremiah gives all the words out, just as the Lord told him. Then it says, The priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking, all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, You shall die for speaking like this. They're going to kill him for just speaking the words that God told him to speak because he didn't give them what their itching ears wanted to hear. Jeremiah 26, 12 says, Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the words that you have heard. Now therefore mend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord. And the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold... I'm in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Isn't that amazing? What he just did right there? Jeremiah tells them, he's like, this is the word of God. It's between you and the Lord. God has given you his word. Obey his word and he will relent. If you don't, he will destroy you. And then Jeremiah says, as for me, do whatever you want. I'm just the vehicle for God's word. If you can kill me, kill me. It's, It's all about God's word. It's not about me. Jeremiah says, if you're going to kill me, I'm in your hands. Do with me whatever you want. He's essentially saying, I would much rather fall into your hands than God's. I would much rather offend you than God. 
right? He's got his priorities straight. He's a prophet from the Lord. Sometimes when you give it out, sometimes it's going to be the the water of life to people. And sometimes, because you don't give them what their itching ears want to hear, sometimes they'll hate you for it. We give it out all the same. It's up to the Lord. God's Word is what's important, not us, not our egos, not our feelings and our comfort. We take God's Word in and we give it out. We don't prophesy like they did in Bible times, but we can do that. We can receive God's Word and give it out. In fact, we're called, every single one of us, if you're a Christian, you're called to do that one way or the other. And so, we're a words-centered people, are we not? We're a words-centered people. We can use words for our own glory or for the glory of God and the good of others. In the very beginning, God spoke a word. Let there be light. It was the most powerful force the universe has ever seen. But in John, in the New Testament, in John 1.1, John writes, in the beginning was the what? In the beginning was the word. The word. The word was Christ. The eternal word. The word of God. And God's eternal word, John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. He showed us the Father. In Christ, people saw the invisible God. Now there were some, while Jesus was here, there were some who rejected him. And of those, he said, my word finds no place in you. My word finds no place in you. But there were others of whom he said, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. If anyone keeps Jesus' word, he will never see death. And so now, with words, all across the world, there are people entering into salvation, entering into that status of never seeing death. And they enter into salvation all across the world by words, spoken words. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. With those words, we enter into salvation. With those words, we proclaim our allegiance. With those words, we cross over from death to life. And so my question to you this morning is this. At the judgment, what words will you hear? Your existence, time on this earth, begins and ends with words. At the judgment, what words will you hear? Because you will hear one of two. Either you will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Or you will hear the words, I never knew you. Depart from me. What words will you hear when your eternal fate is sealed? Take care of that now before it is too late. Take care of that now because it says in the end, every knee will bow and every mouth will be silenced. No more words from us because we will stand before the great God and we will stand before His Son, Jesus Christ, and we will hear one of two words. What will it be for you? Right now we're going to spend some time responding to the words that God has pierced our hearts with. We're going to respond in silent prayer without words to God's words. What do you need to say to God in your heart today? How do you need to respond to the Lord? 
We're going to spend just a few moments praying. This time is for each individual person right now to respond to the Lord in prayer. After our individual time of response, privately, we'll come back and we'll have a time of public response. So let's pray together.